Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna for a very special Encore presentation. February 19th is National Caregivers Day, and I was very blessed to be on a talk radio show, especially for caregivers. Dr. Gordon Atherley is the host of Family Caregivers Unite. This is a radio show that airs twice a week on the Voice America Network. You can read more about Dr. Atherley's show on Voice America at www.voiceamerica.com. Thank you, Dr. Atherley, for allowing me to be a guest on your show and for sharing this podcast with me. I hope all of you enjoy today's special presentation. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Help! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 245 of Family Caregivers Unite. Uh, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is baby hearts. Heart problems that babies are born with are called congenital heart defects. Congenital heart defect may cause heart problems which can be serious or even life-threatening. Um, congenital heart defects are present in about 1% of babies who are born alive. And congenital heart defects are the most frequent congenital malformations in newborns. Uh, congenital heart defects of the most serious types are detected at or shortly after birth. But there are less serious types which may be detected years later or even not at all because their effects are slight. Thanks to outstanding medical advances worldwide, more than 90% of children survive with congenital heart disease. The causes of congenital heart defects, diseases, are getting better understood through recent research into genes, a very complicated matter, which I don't fully understand, but nevertheless, what the story is, is that the researchers found that mutations or changes in genes that arise spontaneously may explain about 10% of severe congenital heart defects. 
And so future research is aiming to improve treatment and perhaps eventually prevent congenital heart disease in the early stages of heart formation. Meanwhile, high quality of care, including family caregiving, can help children avoid or manage complications and live life to its fullest, which is why our topic today, baby hearts, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Anna Jaworski and Erin Engwall. Anna is the mother of a son with a severe congenital heart defect who endured two open heart surgeries in his first year of life and he underwent a revision of his last surgery at age 17. Uh, Concerned about a lack of information parents, Anna wrote a book and started a publishing company for the congenital heart defect community. She also started a support group for congenital heart defect patients in central Texas and became a public speaker. Joey, Uh, Her heart-healthy son, her other son, inspired her to write a second book called My Brother Needs an Operation. And encouraged by other parents, she became the editor of two books, The Heart of a Mother and The Heart of a Father. Now, Erin is the mother of a son, age four, with hyperplastic left heart syndrome, which is one of the more serious of the congenital heart defects. He recently completed the final stage of his three-stage repair procedures. And Erin is a South Florida radio personality and freelance writer. She's also active in the local heart community, organizing congenital heart defect events to raise awareness. So, Anna and Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you so much, Gordon. Great. Now, Anna, first of all, you, you please. Please tell us more about you, your life, and your career. Well, I'm very excited to say that I'm about to have my own Internet talk radio show. It will debut in November, and it will be strictly for the congenital heart defect community. We'll be talking about all different kinds of issues that are related to raising a child with a congenital heart defect. Now, my book's my first book is one that Aaron could use because, like Aaron, my son was also born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, and that's the title of my first book, Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, A Handbook for Parents. When I was sent home 19 years ago with a very sick baby, I didn't know what to expect, so I ended up doing a lot of research to find out what warning signs to be aware of, what kind of medications my son may have. Um, what I could expect between surgeries, after surgeries, common complications, all of that kind of thing. And I was afraid that after doing my research, I wouldn't remember everything. So I ended up writing a book about it and then made that available to other people. Then thanks to my books, I ended up becoming a speaker. (laughs) There you go. And now a talk show host. Now, Erin, you're already a talk show host. So please tell us more about you, you, your life and your career. Erin? I've been in radio in South Florida for 13 years, and uh, I've been uh, both a music host and a traffic reporter as well as heavily involved in our community with community affairs shows, um, you know, hosting hands-on in our community uh, a wide variety of topics that impact our community directly. Um, So being able to uh, speak with people in our community about congenital heart defects 
you know, after having networked and established myself in this community as a radio personality, um, it's easy for me to sort of travel from place to place and make connections with people um, and spread the word about something that is not very well known. Right. Now, I'm going back to Anna. Please tell us about your son, Alex, and his heart defect. You've already identified what it is, but please tell us the story of how it was, of the very sick baby, and now he's 17. Anna? Well, actually, he's 19 years old now. It's hard to believe that he's that old. (laughs) But especially since after he was born, the minute he was placed in my husband's hands, he said he's breathing too hard. And the doctor just slapped my husband on the back and said, no, you have a healthy son. And he was given an 8 and a 9 on his APGAR scores, which indicated that he was fine. But we knew there were problems. He would not nurse for more than five minutes without falling asleep. He never woke up crying. And so I took him back to the hospital every other day for the first uh, week of life. And he was jaundiced, but never jaundiced enough for the billy lights. And so they just kept telling us that he had one label after another, breast milk jaundice. It was newborn breathing. He was just a sleepy head. He was just petite like me. They just uh, didn't even think to look at his heart. And so he was two months old before he was identified, which is really miraculous. He's not a typical HLHS baby. He had transposition of the great vessels as well and a double inlet left ventricle, which sounds like a lot of mumbo-jumbo, just meaning to say that he had so many heart defects that some of them compensated for one another. And so he was able to survive that first surgery and then went on seven months later and had a fenestrated fontan. And then 17 years later, he had a revision of his fontan. But he is a sophomore at NYU Poly right now studying electrical engineering. Now, Erin, I want to ask you exactly the same question. Tell us about your son Jonas and his heart defect and the the story that surrounds all of that. Erin. Thank you, Gordon. When Jonas was born, um, we did not have a prior diagnosis, uh, much the same as Anna. We did not know that we had a baby with a heart condition. Uh, In fact, her story rings very true uh, in similarity to ours in that when he was born, he had a 9 APGAR score. Uh, There was no reason to think anything was wrong with him. Um, However, he was also poor with nursing. He was very tired and and sort of um, sluggish as well. And, um, you know, they, they were taking him to the nursery for regular checkups, and they were saying that he was ashy, and, and same thing, his breathing was rather rapid as well. Um, but they couldn't quite pinpoint what it was in the first 24 hours of his life. So they said, we're going to, you know, send him up to NICU and, and put him under an oxygen hood and see if, you know, that improves his condition. And uh, before we knew it, we were speaking with someone from their cardiology team, and he was being life-flighted down to Miami Children's about 45 minutes south of where uh, we live and where he was born in Fort Lauderdale. Now, both of you have an experience where really it wasn't obvious what the problem was in the first instance. And let me just go quickly back to Anna and ask ask her this. Is that right in the sense that... um, we assume that doctors make a diagnosis, but they seem not to be able to make it very quickly in the, in the case of Alex. Is that right? 
Well, yes, that was right. Um, 19 years ago, things were different. Even though I had three ultrasounds with him, they did not pick up his heart defect in the ultrasound, which is surprising now. With the technology they have today, that kind of heart defect would probably not be missed. But um, I know now that Alex had all of the classic symptoms of a left-sided heart problem, so it is a little bit surprising considering how many different doctors we saw that nobody picked up on it. The most surprising thing is that when he, he went for his this two-month well baby checkup, uh, they knew something was wrong, mostly because I reiterated the same concerns that I had had before. But on top of that, I said, the last night or so, he has woken me up by grunting. And apparently, grunting is a very serious um, symptom. And so the pediatrician said that she was admitting him. And when I pressed her for how she could admit him when she didn't know what was wrong, uh, she said she thought he had cystic fibrosis. And so he was scheduled for a sweat test. Had he had that test, it might have killed him. Right. Now, Erin, just very quickly, what about the diagnosis of Jonas? Um, Were were they, in your opinion, uh, slow to make it, or was it as fast as it could possibly have been? Erin? much like Anna said, you know, it's surprising that, you know, same scenario. I had a very normal and healthy pregnancy. Um, I had several ultrasounds as well, and nothing was detected early on. Um, and so it, it was ma- mainly just they, they weren't slow to pick it up, but they weren't quick to pick it up either. They knew the same thing, that something was wrong, but they weren't exactly sure what or, or the severity of it. Um, you know, when they told me that they were going to uh, do an echocardiogram on him, even I was quick to poo-poo it and say, oh, go right ahead, not thinking anything of it, because up until that point, we had no prior indication that there was anything wrong with his heart. Right. Now, at this particular point, we have to pay the rent, meaning we've got to take a short break. So we'll do that now, and then we'll come back to talk more about these these challenges, because that's what they are that you've both been talking about. So this is Dr. Gordon Heatherly, and my guests are Anna Jaworski and Erin Engwall. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? 
Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lend us your ears. It's power time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Anna Jaworski and Erin Engwall. Our topic is baby hearts. And now Anna and Erin want to draw on your experience, your own experience, as well as that of other family caregivers and talk about the challenges created by heart defects that children are born with. So, Anna, what are the baby's challenges and how do families and family caregivers recognize these? You've already covered that to some degree, but I want you to say more about that. What are the challenges and how do people, families, mother, moms, dads recognize them? Anna? Well, for me, one of the biggest challenges was the fact that my baby wasn't gaining weight. When the pediatrician was finally concerned enough to admit him, she admitted him for failure to thrive. And she told me that those were babies who um, had major medical problems. At first, I was very baffled because Alex had never had a fever, diarrhea. He didn't have any of the classic symptoms of what mothers consider a baby who is chronically ill to have. But his rapid breathing, his rapid heartbeat, um, the fact that he couldn't nurse for very long, he never woke up crying, I had to go wake him up to nurse him, all of those were challenges that Alex was facing before the surgery. But then after the surgery, he was like a new baby. He was able to nurse for much longer, he was a much happier baby, he was alert, and so then our biggest challenge was just to help him get to a healthy weight for that second surgery and, most importantly, to keep him from getting sick, which as a caregiver was challenging because that meant that we couldn't have any family members over who were sick. I had put my older son, my three-year-old son, in daycare so that Alex and I could have some mommy and baby time, and so Joey would have some time with children his age, but I had to pull him out of daycare as soon as Alex had his first surgery because we couldn't expose him to that many germs. Then after Alex had his second surgery, we had a lot of complications. His diaphragm was partially paralyzed, his vocal cords were completely paralyzed, and he had had a small stroke. So we had a lot to overcome with that second surgery. 
And then after that, the major challenges, once he overcame all of those other problems, were just keeping up with his big brother. (laughs) He wanted to be able to do everything his big brother could do. And he was able to, for the most part, until he became about 10 years old. Then we started to notice that he was really turning blue a lot longer when he would run for a long time in the karate dojo because he was working towards his black belt just like his brother. And he also had trouble in the water with swimming. He would get very cold and the tip of his nose would turn blue and his fingers would turn blue and he would start shivering uncontrollably. So I would have to take him out of the water. But a wetsuit took care of that and then he was able to swim just like his brother. Now, I'm going to stop you there only because I'm going to be asking you more about the growing up phase. But Erin, go Going to you now, what are the challenges created for the family and the family caregivers by the baby's heart defects? Erin? We experienced uh, much of the same thing with Jonas's first two surgeries. His most recent surgery, um, he's had a lot greater ease with recovery. Um, after the first two surgeries, he was four days old and four months old. Um, so being an infant, he Uh, experienced a a lot of issues with regurgitation. Um, He would have a lot of projectile vomiting. He would be very pale and ashen. He had trouble with breathing properly. Uh, And the same situation as Anna's little boy, he was very slow to gain weight. In fact, for his most recent surgery, um, the requirement is normally they want the children to be 30 pounds before they have the surgery, and he was only 27 going in. Um, He stayed at the same weight for well over a year um, with a heart healthy child, um, you know, they they tend to grow um, in both height and weight pretty regularly, but about once a year we go up one clothing size with Jonas, and he's much smaller than the average child his age as well. He's uh, back up to his regular weight of 27 pounds after losing a couple in the hospital, um, but he is also three feet one. Uh, most children uh, that are heart healthy his same age are easily 40 to 45 pounds and about three and a half feet tall. Right. Anna, back to you. Challenges created for children as they grow up. You've already mentioned some of them, but um, uh, Alex is 19. Talk about the challenges of growing up for these children. Anna? Well, we were really lucky because Alex did have some problems, but he didn't have as many problems as a lot of children. A lot of babies end up needing physical therapists, speech therapists, occupational therapists. Alex was in the unusual uh, circumstance of having a mother whose background was in speech pathology. So he got speech therapy all the time without realizing it. I just made it fun and playful with he and with Joey. And so that was really wonderful that we were able to do that. Also, since he was two months old before his heart defect was identified, even though he was a sleepyhead, and even though I had to force feed him for two months, he knew how to nurse. Some of the babies who have their surgeries, you know, within days of birth, lose that instinct for nursing. And so they end up needing feeding tubes. They have problems with oral aversions. And Alex never had that. So we were really lucky with that as well. Also, a lot of children end up needing to go into early childhood programs with their local school districts. But I had decided before my husband and I even got married that I would homeschool my children. And so Alex had the good fortune of having a mother with a master's degree in education. And so his education was pretty seamless for him. 
the way that I could determine if Alex was doing okay and if I was concerned was I would subtract the number of days that it took them to identify his heart defect, which was 65 days. And then I would also subtract the number of days that he was in the hospital. And I would look at his chronological age, subtract all those days, plus a healthy recovery time. And then if he was doing in the baby books what a child that age with the subtracted time was doing, then I felt that he was okay. And really, when I took that into consideration, Alex developed normally. That's uh, remarkable uh, progress, isn't it? That is in the sense of you you pacing him um, at the point at which... Uh, he really is, rather than the point at which his age would tell you he is. Very interesting point. Now, Erin, what are the challenges created for the family and the family caregivers by heart defects in children as they develop? Erin? Yes, uh, again, the same thing that Anna is speaking about, we've had similar experiences with as well. We we um, were slightly behind when Jonas was in his first year of life, um, you know, we, we went to a Head Start program and had him evaluated to get an idea of where he was at. Um, and he was about three to six months behind develop, developmentally for his first year. Um, but he was hitting milestones pretty regularly, same as Anna described. Um, you know, by eight months, he was pulling up to stand. By a year, in fact, the, the week after his first birthday, he was walking. So pretty much right on target with, you know, an, an average heart-healthy child. Um, in fact, now um, we've taken a very similar route to Anna. We, because of the whole uh, concern with germs and, and um, you know, the spreading of communicable diseases, we've kept him home. He's not in pre-kindergarten, uh, and we've yet to make a decision about homeschooling. Um, but as far as his education is concerned, he's already on par. He, he's four years old and, and on par with uh, the work that kindergarten children are doing. So he's he's two years ahead developmentally as far as, uh, being able to communicate and write and identify numbers, shapes, colors. Um, he's able to do all of these things with ease, and we know that we're lucky um, because a lot of children, as Anna said, uh, with heart conditions also have developmental issues or other complications um, health-wise that prevent them from being able to catch up with their peers. That, again, is a very hopeful message, isn't it, that the brain... Um, and Jonas, and therefore other children, perhaps not all, um, develops normally. Absolutely. Anna, yeah. Anna, what's your point of view on the mental development? It sounds to me as though Alex has done very well. What would, you, what would be your comment about mental development? Well, I think he was lucky he had Joey for a big brother. <laughs> Joey <laughs> made sure that he was the equalizer in the family. Nobody was allowed to take pity on Alex or baby him too much because this was the little brother Joey had been praying for for so many years. And so I think it really helped Alex because he just wanted to be just like Joey. And that really challenged him mentally, emotionally, every way you can imagine. It was really, really good for Alex to have Joey in his life. So what we're talking about now is really family caregiving, isn't it? That's in the sense that um, Joey was a family caregiver who, whose brother was um, being helped in his ordinary life Absolutely. by the Absolutely. love and interest on the part of his brother. That's right, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And... Joey got the first smile. After the second surgery, um, Alex had been on paralyzing drugs, and he had been 
pretty much out of it while he was on the ventilator because they didn't want him to pull the tube out of his throat. And we didn't feel it was good at that time to bring a three-year-old to see his brother. But as soon as they extubated Alex, I told Frank, go get Joey, because I knew the boys were missing each other. And so when Joey walked into the door, he got the first smile. Alex turned his head, saw his big brother, and he gave him the biggest smile. And I had been sitting there with him for an hour or two since he had been extubated, and I did not get a smile, but <laughs> his big brother did. That's so, gratitude for you. Erin, right. just <laughs> quickly just to ask you this question. Um, Jonas is an only child, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Now, what that translates into is to some extent then mum and dad in that situation have also to be the brother and sister. Is that how you see it, Erin? Yes, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, in, in our case, um, it's worked out very nicely for us that he's our only child because we've not had to have concerns with, um, you know, if, if we had an older child, um, you know, finding a, a caregiver while we go through um, hospitals and procedures and, and other things of that nature. I definitely see the bonus, you know, that Anna had with her two boys. Um, but for us, I find that it's been just fantastic that, you know, we've been able to focus solely on his care um, and, you know, be able to give him the, the kind of undivided attention that we're able to give him. That then comes back to the family point, and that is to say, you and your husband have both been the complete family um, for Jonas. That's that's right, isn't it? Yes. You've done all those kind of interaction things with Jonas, and you've been able to do that. Is that right, Erin? Correct, yes. Because that, too, is a powerful message um, of the sense of the importance of family caregiving. Um, it's more than surgery and it's more than medications important though those are it's all the care and the caring that families and family caregivers because they're one and the same thing can provide to a child that is challenged in the way that the two children we're now talking about are challenged and others are too so just a, a quick last word on that erin um do you agree with that sense that um this the importance of family caregiving um, is as not perhaps not as yes, let's say it's as important as the medical care and the specialist care in the care of somebody like Jonas. What do you think? Absolutely, yes. Our our most recent uh, hospital visit with him, um, we were inpatient for eleven days, and and we have a fantastic hospital and a great medical team that allowed us to. Um, you know, sleep in the hospital with him while he was in ICU. We couldn't be in the room with him, but we were able to be, um, you know, in a in a family lounge area and, and sleep there. And then once he moved to a step down unit and he was a less critical case, we we were able to sleep in the same room with him and, and room in with him every night of his stay. So to be right next to him and to be able to tend to his needs and and be able to ease his fears, you know, as, as he's recovering, I think made such a huge impact. Um, you know, in ways that I just can't even begin to express. I think it, it aided in his recovery. I think it, it um, also improved his mood drastically as well. I mean, could you imagine if we weren't able to be there with him, how terrified he would be? I mean, he is only four years old. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, we have to take the break again. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Anna Jaworski and Erin Engwall. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be back. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Anna Jaworski and Erin Engel. Our topic is baby hearts. Again, we're drawing on your own experience and things that you've heard from other family caregivers when you've been talking, making presentations, when you've been doing your broadcasts or when you will do your broadcasts and hear these things. Let's talk about the responses to the challenges created by heart defects in children. So Anna, first of all, in what ways do families and family caregivers help their babies respond to their challenges and how do the families and family caregivers gauge their successes? That's a great question because every family is so different. But for our family... We were all there. We were all part of the process. Just like you said, it really was a family event. My husband is a nurse, so I was lucky in that way. The medical things didn't frighten him at all. And we just pretty much tackled everything as a matter-of-fact situation. Not all heart families are that lucky. So many of them end up having to take their children to physical therapy and occupational therapy and speech therapy and feeding specialists. So the ways that those people gauge their success frequently depends on how the professionals are gauging success that they're dealing with. And so a lot of people end up with a lot of outside help. For us, it was mostly our family. And... 
Alex responded pretty much as a mirror of the way we were, were, were responding. If we were happy and we were excited about things, Alex was happy and excited about things. So when there were things that we were concerned about, like after his second surgery, when I had to bring him home on oxygen, I tried not to make a big deal about it. I tried to just accept it as a matter of course, and that eventually his vocal cords would heal, eventually his diaphragm would heal, and we just took every day as it came. Right. Erin, my question is very similar, but it's in what ways do families and family caregivers respond to the challenges created for them by their baby's heart defects? And how do they gauge their successes in meeting the challenges to them? Erin? We belong to a heart community on social networking on Facebook, um, and I had an idea one day to do something called a brag post um, where we talk about one success that our child has had for the week, um, no matter how large or small it is. And, and as Anna said, you know, it varies from child to child and family to family. So if one child is having feeding issues, um, the brag post would be something along the lines of, you know, he, our child tried a new texture of food today. Or it could be our child is you know, making ground with taking steps today. Or if they're a little bit older, um, you know, they were able to do things independently. Um, It's really a celebration of um, progress, no matter how large or small that progress is. And it's the sort of thing when you might feel discouraged um, to see other people lifting each other up and, and sharing their stories of success, again, no matter how great or small they are, um, it brings a camaraderie um, and a commonality to people that are experiencing the same thing. Right. That's the getting together. That's using technology. And that's celebrating. That's the word you use, the successes. And that means that successes that one family achieves are probably going to be useful to other families if even if the situations are somewhat different doesn't always follow but that's a kind of encouragement now Anna, in what ways do children respond to the challenges that are created by their heart defects as they grow up and how do they gauge their successes in in reacting to the challenges Anna? well a baby like jonas or alex they don't know that they have a heart defect as far as I know, everybody is born and has a scar down the center of their chest. So <laughs> Alex just wanted to be just like everybody else. But most especially, he wanted to be like his big brother. And so he just tried to do everything that Joey did. So Alex was a Blue Ranger and Joey was a Red Ranger. And when they were doing Taekwondo, they were actually out on the floor together with my husband, we found an all-age group taekwondo class, which was awesome because all three of the guys got to do that together. And Alex gauged his success pretty much by the way everybody was gauging their success. And it really wasn't until he turned 10 that he started to notice he was different. That's when the karate instructor would grab him after the third lap around the dojo because his nose was blue and his fingertips were blue. And he would hold on to Alex until Alex turned pink again, and then he would let Alex go. And Alex really did not like being singled out. So he attained his brown belt, and then he quit robotics. I mean, he quit uh, 
taekwondo and we started robotics with him because that was something he could do and his heart defect would not interfere with him. So we had a robotics club that we started and then he went to his first robotics tournament. It was a great learning experience for him. We had a lot of fun. But as soon as robotics season was over, because I was a homeschool mom, he was still going every single day to the dojo and watching Joey. And he turned to me one afternoon and he said, Mommy, I have to go back. I'm not done. And he had had a catheterization that showed that he's, the holes in his heart had gotten bigger as he had gotten bigger. And we knew that another heart surgery was in his future, but he was doing too well for us to go in right away. And so with the blessings of his cardiologist, he went back to the karate school, worked really, really hard. All of the kids were so supportive and so happy to see him back on the floor. They retaught him anything that he had forgotten, and he took his black belt test and passed. So I think that was one of the ways that he... He needed to feel successful in himself. By this time, Joey was already working on his second-degree black belt, though, and Alex knew that his heart just wasn't going to be up to that strenuous a task. And so instead, he focused on robotics, and we went to six different robotics tournaments. Um, we went to two international robotics tournaments. He just did so beautifully with his robotics, and then he started college at age 14, and by the time he was 17, he earned his high school diploma on his birthday, and a week later, he walked across the stage to earn his associate's degree in applied sciences specializing in robotics. So I think that is how Alex has gauged his success. So that's, that's saying that... The word used often used is their peers, the the children they they of the same age or um, have the who have the same interest were responding to him, watch, watching him meet his challenges, and uh, applauding him and celebrating them, and then later on when he got into higher education, then there were the uh, gauges of success the recognition of uh, qualifications and that kind of thing. So in other words, the sort of family caring extended to the communities of children and others around, but it was an earned earned recognition of a, a child and then a young man who was doing very well. Now, Erin, I, I want to ask you, they're all similar questions, these, but the one I want to ask you is this. What, in what ways do families and family caregivers respond to the challenges created by heart defects for the children as they develop, and how do they gauge their success? In other words, the child is growing. You've already marked um, his or her stage of development, and you're seeing him developed. Um, what are the challenges as each stage is reached that the families and family caregivers have to respond to and have to wonder how they're doing. Erin? Gordon, I think that Anna touched on something that's very vital in our heart community. I think that every heart parent uh, has the, the challenge of having to rise to the occasion of uh, making sure that you treat your child as normal as possible, but also so that they understand that they are different um, from other children their age. Um, you constantly walk a fine line of 
um, teaching your child what they can and can't do without limiting them to the point where they feel excluded. Uh, that's definitely something that we're already experiencing, uh, despite the fact that Jonas is still pretty little. Um, we've never limited him in any way. We've always encouraged him um, to pursue his interests no matter what they are. And again, you know, it's different because we we haven't gotten that far in our journey yet. He's smaller. Um, but we definitely want to encourage him to do whatever he's passionate about and whatever he loves. Um, but there will come a point where he's not able to keep up with other children his age. And it's going to be a hurdle that I'm definitely not looking forward to. <laughs> and and that, when you right, just following up with you on this particular point, that's where parental guidance comes in, doesn't it? Because in that sense, you are likely to be the best judges of what he can and cannot really expect to do. And therefore, you have to know what lies ahead with a particular decision. Now, is that right? And can you think of an example where that, what I've just said, might apply? Absolutely. And I think that applies for um, things that are you know, that he's just doing in, in everyday development and as well, you know, things where he's doing strenuous activity. Um, it was suggested to us early on that we kind of let him gauge himself in terms of what he's able to do instead of regulating. And in fact, he's very good at listening to the signs that his body gives him. And it's not something that he was ever taught by us or by any doctor. Um, Prior to his most recent surgery, he would say, I'm tired, I need to sit down and take a break. And this was not anything we told him. We never encouraged him to, you know, if he was um, experiencing any exhaustion to sit down. He, he just listens to his body, even at such a young age, and knows when he needs to take a break. So it's really fantastic how early on you can be in touch with your physicality and kind of have an idea of what you need to do um, without ever having been taught. We really have this innate ability um, to sort of draw from within ourselves to understand our own bodies um, without even being taught because survival instinct is something that we're all born with uh, and that we develop on our own um, without even any encouragement. That's listening to your body, isn't it, what you've just said? Yes. Yeah, and understanding the messages it's sending you. And there are points in life where you perhaps have to test and stress your body, and there are other times in life where you listen and take notice of what your body is telling you. And you learn those tricks, I think, all of us, all of us, um, regardless of heart defects or anything else, as we go through. Now, once again, it's time for the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Anna Jaworski and Erin Engwell. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. 
What does success mean to you? Is it being just like the person on the other side of the fence where the grass is supposedly greener? We harbor too many feelings of envy and suppressed anger targeted at others, and it's holding us back from our success. Tune in to Wealthy Thoughts with Richard Levy. Just by listening, you'll be empowered to make positive lifestyle changes to live the successful life that you deserve to live. Wealthy Thoughts can be heard every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Anna Jaworski and Erin Engwell. Our topic is baby hearts. Now I want please you to talk about the things that you would like to do and you would like to see done to improve ways for overcoming the challenges you've been talking about, we've been talking about. So Anna, first with you, what more would you like to do through your work and, and your upcoming talk, talk show to help families and family caregivers and children overcome the challenges arising from heart defects in children. Anna? Thank you, Gordon. I think the first thing I would like to do is to let the community know that they're not alone. When you are facing some of the challenges that we've had to face, especially when the children are first recovering from their heart surgeries or when they're in between heart surgeries and you have to stay away from the malls and restaurants and all of that kind of thing so that you don't expose your children to germs, it's so easy to feel alone. And I want to empower the community. I want this radio show that I'll be hosting to be a sense of community for them where we're all united. We all know how each other feels. We learn about the new materials that are coming out, new surgeries that are coming out, new prescriptions that might help our children, or even if massage can help our babies, you know, some of the different things that we can do as parents to help our children and to help ourselves to be better families. So I'm really hoping that with the radio show, I can bring a sense of community that we haven't felt before. Erin is absolutely right. Having the online community has been fabulous. When Alex was a baby, It was in the mid-1990s, and we didn't have the Internet like we do now. Now mothers get on the Internet with Yahoo Groups. They get on through Facebook, MySpace. There are so many different ways that they don't feel so alone. But with the radio show, they can actually talk to one another. They can hear each other's voices. And I think that will make an even bigger impact. Right. Erin, what would you like to do through your work and your charity activities? Because I've seen that you do those to help families, family caregivers and children overcome the challenges arising from heart defects in children. Erin? 
Uh, I think it's a two-step process, uh, the goals that I'd like to continue to achieve. Um, the first step would be raising awareness in our community, um, having people to understand that um, there's a, a lot of misconceptions where heart defects are concerned where, uh, and myself included, prior to having a child with a congenital heart defect, um, it, it's downplayed often that there's just a murmur or just a small hole. And a lot of the times people don't understand that our children are going through multiple stage surgeries and that they have a quality of life, um, you know, that is similar to someone that is heart healthy, um, but they will need to continue to have checkups throughout their life in, into adulthood. Um, these are things I think that are not very well known in the community and uh, something that I've been working with um, people you know, in my neighborhood and in my community to help raise awareness towards. Uh, the second step would be caregivers. Um, it's very important that we take care of ourselves. We do a lot for our children, um, and we don't really focus on self-care as much as we should. Um, we sort of tap ourselves out um, with doing everything to make sure that our children are taken care of. And, I mean, absolutely, that is the thing that you should do, put your child first. Um, but it gets to the end of the day, and we're just so exhausted, and we, ha we haven't done anything for ourselves. So even if it's just to take 15 minutes and do something for ourselves, whether it's, you know, put on our makeup or, you know, wear a nice outfit or uh, sit with some quiet time and meditate or read a book or just to have some time to sort of regroup, um, especially I can say this after just having recently been in the hospital with Jonas, um, is that taking that time for myself really helped renew me uh, to be able to be a good caregiver to him. Right. Now, Anna, what is your message for children as they grow up with heart defects. Anna? Well, you already alluded to this a little bit, and that is that everyone has limitations. And so they shouldn't let their heart defect prevent them from living a full and happy life. I wanted Alex and Joey to be open to experiencing new things and not to let anybody hold them back. Just because you have a heart defect doesn't mean you have to have artificial limitations put on you. Some people even consider their heart defect a gift because they know how precious every single day is, every single moment is, and they know that none of us has tomorrow promised. Alex is a survivor, and he has this one story that he likes to tell, he never liked to think of himself as different. And so when Joey was on the swim team, he tried out for the swim team. He wasn't successful in making it until I got him a wetsuit. And one day he was in the dressing room taking his wetsuit off. And a little boy who really didn't know Alex pointed at his chest and he said, man, what happened to you? And Alex explained that he had had heart surgery when he was a baby and didn't really remember it. And the kid said, wow, you're a survivor. Well, Alex came out of that just dressing room with his chest puffed out, and he said, Mom, I'm a survivor. It really made him feel empowered. Before that, he was used to kids kind of feeling sorry for him, and he never really liked to talk about his heart defect. But after that one little boy told him, you're a survivor, it totally changed his attitude. And that's what I want all kids with heart defects to know. You're survivors. You've made it. There are no guarantees for tomorrow, so live each day to the fullest. Very powerful message. Erin, what's your message for families and family caregivers with babies with heart defects? Erin? Listening to Anna relay her story, uh, we have a very similar experience as well. Um, it's always been very important for us to Jonas feel 
that this is something that he should be proud of and that this is an experience that, that he's survived. Um, in fact, we just recently went to pick out a Halloween costume for him, and he wants to be Iron Man for Halloween um, because he has, um, you know, the arc reactor, the, the glowing heart as well, so he relates to the character. And to have a superhero that, that has a similar condition to what you're experiencing makes you feel like a superhero. So uh, along the same lines, um, you know, he since he's been recovering from surgery, we've only been from the hospital for a little over a month. And every time we go somewhere and visit with friends that haven't seen him since he's been out, the first thing he does is raise his shirt. As soon as someone asks how he's doing, his answer is to raise his shirt and just point to his scar and smile very proudly and puff out his chest exactly the same way Anna said. Um, to be able to, to give these kids the gift of pride and the, the gift of knowing um, that this is a, a badge of courage and honor and not something to be ashamed of or, or something to look down upon or feel sorry for, uh, the word that she used is beautiful, empowerment. Now, I just want to comment back to both of you because we're coming we're a little bit close to the end of this powerful episode several things you've said i'd just like to emphasize to our listeners and back to you and that is this sense of family caregiving becoming community and the interesting fascinating way in which technology has enabled you to build these communities you gave us examples um, Anna, you're going to be a talk show host. You're going to be bringing your community together to talk among themselves, to share ideas, and to share hope. Um, you, Erin, uh, um, were involved in this um, use of, I'm going to call it blogging, um, of messages of success to give people that sense that, as you said, they're not alone and that they are being successful. Why that's so important is because people, family caregivers, too often feel guilty if they're not exhausted, they're not tired. And as you've both said, it's important they take care of themselves and it's important that they feel that it's important that they do that and that they shouldn't feel guilty if they do take some time. So... We have to close, unfortunately. I want to say um, thank you very much to both of you. I want to wish you every success in what you're doing with your family and, and the way in which you're taking yourselves and your ideas to the community. I want to thank our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be trustworthy, understandable and useful information for family caregivers and patients. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericaempowerment.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 